Hello, and thank you for joining us at Transistor Radio. Today, we're going to have a chip chat about semiconductors. And in particular, this week, we're going to talk about Intel's Investor Day. So Intel's Investor Day happened yesterday, and um, we both have some takes and some thoughts on it. Um, I'm going to start, uh, Dylan's going to start us off. What do you think about just like anything new? Did anything really change or... Um, nothing really changed. I really do enjoy that they're telling the culture story because I think that's one that's more important than almost any of the technology they talked about um, and any of the financials they talked about, right? Uh, Intel culturally was dead, um, you know, especially in the mid 2010s and on, um, but there's been a real resurgence. And so I, I'm really happy they talked about the culture. I'm still, still not sure if people have fully recognized it. Um, you got to talk to people at Intel to, to really get it. But, you know, everything from how they treat suppliers, how they're hiring, you know, how they're paying, how, they're organi- how their organizational structure is, it's just so much better. Um, and I wouldn't even entertain the thought of, you know, an Intel turnaround uh, if it weren't for this culture change. Um, you know, the culture change does not solve it. There's so much work to be done. Um, and it's not, a sh- it's not surefire in any way. And they've got a lot of bad years ahead of them. But, uh, it's, it's, it's refreshing. Yeah. I, I thought that was really refreshing too, to hear. I mean, what's really funny is whenever Pat talks, like there's energy, man. Like I get really excited to listen to him talk about semiconductors, um, from his, his dumb little meme moments with him holding the, the 18, a Simba, uh, the Simba, that was a really good moment, but he, he's just really stoked and exciting. And, uh, whenever we, we went over to the sector heads, I was like, Ooh, literally like my interest peaks down. Um, Pat does have a lot of energy and the cultural turnaround definitely seems to be real. I didn't realize they actually took away the OKRs at Intel. That was, you, most... do you want to explain what OKRs are? Uh, I need a, what is, I forget what the, so essentially an OKR is objective key and results, if I remember correctly. And this is something that Intel literally invented. And it's essentially a way to have a very like tight KPI um, that they're like, this is all this business unit focuses on. And it like, this is how we pay people. This is what, what matters. And they try to like essentially measure what matters and then hit back. Um, Intel invented this. This is like a, a standard practice in a lot of uh, not even semiconductor companies and a lot of like software companies. Like this is just a Silicon Valley cultural practice uh, that that started day one at Intel. And I didn't realize you know, in, yeah. in, in in the t- mid 2010s, you know, by then the technique had deteriorated heavily, right? Um, people would be setting their own um, objectives and keys and they would just make it easy to achieve stuff. Um, and they'd abuse the system and Intel, you know, removed it entirely. Um, and they haven't had it in place for years. And uh, Pat is bringing it back, right? You know, his mentor, Andy Grove, is the one who invented it. And he's, he's bringing it back. So, you know, hopefully that pushes more accountability um, and performance. And, uh, you know, it, dis- it distinguishes the high performers from the knots uh, within the organization rather than, you know, promoting middle manager political type people who just knew how to play the, you know, performance system and the relationship aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think there was an amended version of the OKR, but it wasn't quite related to performance or comp at all. So it didn't really matter. It just, it, they, you know, they try to change it. And then it, essentially it's, it's literally a perfect example of where Intel kind of took a wrong turn in this culture. And it's nice to hear Pat um, bring it back. In some ways, Pat's kind of like a, a Petri dish of culture from the before times. He completely left. And then he's like, he comes back and he's like, what the heck's going on? We got to, you know, we got to, we got to bring this back. And so he's like, a, he's a shot in the arm. Um, and just I, I love that analogy of a Petri dish, right? Yeah. He's just like infecting the whole company with like his intu- enthusiasm for a torrid pace and all the excitement and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I mean, he's been gone since 2009. I mean, you could like 2009 Intel is a totally different company than uh, 2021 com- or 2022 Intel. So um, let's let's talk about like their segments in particular because they did a resegment. Um, this is probably how they're going to think about their company going forward. How we should probably think about their company. Um, and let's just go through each each unit and just like some takes from from the performance. I don't think anything was that crazy out of line of what we expected, right? Yeah, yeah, for the most part, except for the accelerated, you know, the client, you know, there's some pain points there that we both were like, what? And then also the accelerated computing and graphics. I noticed something that was just like, what? So, but, but let's, let's, uh, which, which one do you want to start with? 
Um, let's, I would love to start, let's just start with client because it's the first, you know, the biggest and historical business. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually thought that chart was uh, value, not units. So I was totally bamboozled. I wasn't paying attention. So, so for some context, right. They put up a chart that was, um, you know, just client. Oh, it's going to grow over time. Right. Um, anyone who's doing research on you know the client computing market knows that 2021 was fantastic. 2022 should be even better, uh, not in terms of units, but in terms of mix, right? More enterprise uh, laptops and less education Chromebook type laptops or um, and you know, the Windows 11 cycle really hit its stride in 21, 22 and, and and a little bit into 23. But Intel was you know, put up a chart that was just flabbergasting, right? Um, you know, as Doug mentioned, he, he initially thought it was revenue because, you know, it was just that insane. Um, but they mentioned that- It's up know, and to the right for, for right? Like, I think it assumes yeah. some kind of low single digits. I mean, uh, Dave, uh, the new CFO, Dave, even was like, look, when we made this plan, this turnaround plan, we didn't, people were concerned that we're using heroic assumptions on uh, the client group. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you know, it's just like low single digits. But then I was like, low single digits revenue growth, low to mid single digits revenue growth, assuming units go up. And that's really pretty heroic, in my opinion. That could happen, but I don't think it is. I mean, they're going to lose share, right? Yeah. That's that's undoubtable. Um, they're going to lose some share, even though, you know, the, the competitiveness of their client is not nearly as bad as data center. They're still going to lose share. Um you know, but PC units are not going to grow from 350 million to say 380 million over the next five years or whatever, whatever the assumption was. They're just, they're not, right? It's, it's, it's going to be more like a flattish and maybe even down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's just, it, we, we're going through, we went through a super cycle. We're going through a super cycle right now, right? And, mm-hmm. and then Klein is going to taper off a little bit. Yeah. So that, that was the part that was like really, so, so whatever, we're just going to like, like, Pretend like that part of the thesis is okay. They're going to do low to mid single digits, whatever. Um, we're going to move on to another. I mean, there, there's a lot to nitpick about that, but that's possible. Maybe. I don't know, but let's move on to another. Um, we'll, we'll do another, like a better one. You want to talk about IFS or, or, or network and edge? Um, I mean, uh, I, I love network and edge. Um, yeah. So let, let's just talk about that, right? Intel's networking group and edge group. I think it has one the best uh, business unit leader among the entire company, right? I mean, Nick is Nick McCann is just a, a freaking G. He's he's done, he's been so successful in the company. I mean, I want to read a book about him. I don't, I don't know if there is one about there, but he's been really successful. Maybe you could um, write it, the, man. Yeah. The, no, I don't know enough about him, but uh, the network and edge group has a lot of interesting products um, all the way from, you know, base station products like Snow Ridge. And then the successor they're going to announce next week at Mobile World Congress to, you know, Silicon Photonics, which is, you know, Intel is the foremost leader in the world and co-packaged optics are going to be amazing for them um, to, you know, the, the, the infrastructure processing unit, data processing unit, you know, the DPU, IPU business where they've got Google, you know, they've got Facebook as customers and they're, they're going to win quite a bit, you know, they've got a fantastic software stack, right. Even with the network and edge group, right. I mean, you, you talk about data center st- software, you talk about AI software, right. Networking and edge software, Intel's got that on lock. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and then there's just so many other products, you know, related to just, uh, the networking side of things. And, you know, they're going to start entering the switch era, you know, with co-package optics and they're going to be able to crush uh, there. I think yeah, I, I just love this business unit and it's the only one that I can't like nitpick or complain about. Yeah. I felt like that was one the, um, the most believable revenue guidance, which was mid teens. I was like, yeah, hundred percent. Sure. Like most super believable. I, I don't even think that's aggressive relative to its TAM. I would, I would guess the TAM does double digits. So it's like, it's, that's very unheroic assumptions. So I felt yeah, so they, they did project some market share gains. Um, they projected, I think, low single digit, I mean, low uh, double digits. So like, you know, 12, 13%, I'm guessing for the TAM, so the total addressable market. But then for the entire unit, they're saying, you know, mid. So mm-hmm. a little bit of share gains. Um, I think I think the TAM will probably grow a little bit faster. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll see, we'll see what their, their, their business unit does. Mm-hmm. But still, it's extremely unheroic. I don't think it's... I don't think it's much to believe in at all. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm not surprised, um, but you want to move on to, well, let's just talk about ADAS and, and Mobileye really quickly because that's, um, they don't really talk about it on the investor day. That's part of the spin. So honestly, I, Doug, I think we should just hold that off for a okay. podcast we're going to oh. do on the IPO, right? Oh, that's like, a good we're point. we're yeah. definitely going to do one on yeah. the IPO. So, okay, I mean, so I like the business unit. You like it, but we have yeah. a lot of thoughts. Yeah. And that's like a, a big TBD. So, okay. So we're going to skip over that. Um, you want to talk about 
you want to talk about DCI, uh, DCAI. So the DC segment is one of the segments that is expected to grow a little faster. And their, their um, estimate was mid-teen, mid-teens growth. And um, what, what were your thoughts there on like how reasonable of a revenue guidance that I was? I think, I mean, long-term, it's potential they could hit that. But I think on the short-term and medium-term, it's really just a function of how how much is this market growing and how much of the share is AMD not taking on data center, right? Um, you know, they're, they're, Sapphire Rapids is not competitive. Emerald Rapids is not competitive. That's their 22 and 23 products. So add a year for the real, you know, volume to flow through. And then Granite Rapids and Sierra Forest in 2024 may be competitive, but uh, stealthily, they delayed those products or at least Granite Rapids, right? Granite Rapids was initially end of 23 on Intel 4, and they moved it to Intel 3 and they, they said 2024. I'm hoping that's early 2024, right? But we'll see. Um, and then Sierra Forest is, you know, their little core product, which will be, which will be great, except for the fact that, you know, Intel is actually not a leader on this. Um, AMD is going to have a, a little core product called Bergamo. You know, all the ARM guys are already sort of using little core products, right? They're using smaller cores rather than massive cores. Um, you know, think Neoverse, think Ampere Computing. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful about Sierra Force, especially because that's supposedly one of the products that, you know, Jim Keller was involved in, uh, at least a prior version of that product uh, before it was redefined. Um, so I'm hopeful, but we'll, we'll see. Um, the little cores are definitely better than their big cores on a competitive environment. Um, and, and 2024 is sort of in, on Intel 3 is sort of a process parity, you know, we hope, right, with, with TSMC sort of ramping three nanometer in 2023, uh, starting, you know, shipping it in the beginning of 2023 and then add a year for, you know, the mobile ramp to finish and for it to flow through to like, you know, the, those folks like AMD. Um, so it'll be a process parity and it'll really be, you know, a battle. So yeah. that's, that's my take on it. Um, uh, the AI component, although the, you know, the AI segment that they bought, I think it's garbage and Habana <laughs> is not selling well. The software is terrible. Um, nobody wants it. And oh, by the way, they bought it. And the very next product that, you know, the seven nanometer version is also delayed because it was supposed to be late last year. It's not. So, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty crazy. Um, the thing that I was also thinking about, too, just just bringing that whole 2024 is the year of competition. That That's pretty much what Pat says. Right. He's like, look. 2023, 2022 is the, is the reset years while 2024 is, you know, when, when it actually comes to fruition. And so it's definitely a like wait and see kind of thing. And 2024 is a little bit a ways away, you know, like that's, and obviously this is, this is how long these product cycles take, but that's quite, um, you know, I feel like we're, we're waiting to fight two battles from now. Uh, And that's just kind of like TBD. I would love to see what they have, but AMD is not going to be slouching either. Like they're going to have um, something I thought was really interesting. They're talking about the, the little cores. I was like, oh, AMD is going to have a product with little cores. So like, oh, they're talking about like different SKUs and custom, you know, custom like different units. I was like, dude, AMD is going to do that. Like none of this is like, this is not going to be this crazy, like the hope is parity, maybe better slightly, but like it, it's going to be a lot more competitive. I mean, yeah, than. Intel says parity 24, leadership 25, and that's the optimistic view, right? Um, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, Intel is a little bit ahead in terms of uh, integrating accelerators, right? With Sapphire Rapids, sure, their core is worse, power's worse, um, but they do have you know an AI accelerator. They do have DSA, which is really cool for certain niche applications, right? But for the for the majority of the server market, that this doesn't matter yet. Um, so yeah. Okay, so you want to do AXG next? <laughs> yes. So I, I really got to highlight Dylan. You crushed it. I did not read the fine print on this one. Um, you should take it over. Uh, yeah, sure. So accelerated computing and graphics, right? It's, it's, uh, it's the segment that Roger Kadori leads and he's, he's good, but he was dealt a really bad card, right? He was given quite literally the worst GPU architecture in the industry, right? Uh, you know, he start when he started, they were on gen nine, I think. Um, and they were about to push out gen 11 and gen nine was worse than anything that the mobile guys were doing worse than what AMD is doing worse than NVIDIA, right? It's terrible. Um, and he's got to claw out by 2026, this massive business, right? And you can talk a bit, a bit more about that. But, um, you know, they're saying one of the things that I saw on the slides that was really, you know, wow. And everybody wowed about was, uh, hey, we're going to do a billion dollars of accelerated computing and graphics business in 2022. And I was like, holy crap, that's crazy. 
And, and they also said, we're going to ship 4 million units of GPUs, which is also, holy crap, that's crazy, right? I mean, for, for context, the total PC discrete GPU, I mean, the, the you know, sort of desktop discrete GPU market is like 40 million units. So you're talking 10%. Of course, that was laptop plus um, discrete. So probably a lot less, but, you know, not, not like a insignificant ramp. Uh, but fine print folks on the slides, uh, the accelerated computing and graphics segment is not making a billion dollars. Um, 700 million of that is intercompany segment royalty. Basically, client computing group is going to pay the accelerated computing and graphics group $700 million so that they can, uh, and, and it'll ramp up from there to a billion over the next five years so that they can, you know, have their own cost center. Basically, you know, uh, Roger Kaduri has teams, he has a budget and he manages all graphics and he delivers IP to the client group and gets a royalty from that. So in reality, it's $300 million of revenue off of 4 million units shipped. Um, and if you do the simple math, that's a $75 average selling price, which is pitiful in the graphics market, right? Um, I mean, there's tons of leaks about what Intel is releasing uh, with um, you know, their, their discrete GPUs and how it's you know, more focused on laptops and this and that. Um, basically there's two, there's like a mid-range product and then there's a low-end product. Um, and this screams that the mid-range product is going to be almost non-existent and the low-end product is going to be spammed everywhere. Um, if it's a $75 ASP, right? Um, it's, it's 125 execution unit, 128 execution units uh, for reference Intel's current integrated graphics are 96. Um, and their next generation scales up to 192. So this is like integrated graphics territory, right? It's, it's worse than AMD's integrated graphics uh, given the same power budget. So this is, this is very pitiful. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe you know more about this, but my thought was maybe they move to like a supermarket like model where, uh, Intel can ship the GPUs, but they don't get to recognize the revenue until their end users, you know, the ODMs, original device manufacturers sell through to clients or wherever, whoever they sell through to. Um, and maybe that helps them, you know, able to even get ODMs willing to take, accept shipment of 4 million units, um, versus, you know, like just holding off, uh, could you, what do you think I, about that theory? I, dude, I have no idea. That sounds that sounds feasible in terms of like the the sell through of like shipping to. But I, I don't. The thing that really, um, so yeah, it sounds super low end. It doesn't sound like a high quality. It is not a high end leadership product with leadership margins. It sounds like uh, spam GP IGPUs essentially. Uh, the thing that I was really shocked about is the 2026 10 billion dollar revenue target. So that implies an 80 percent revenue kager every single year for the next five years. And I'm like, what products, what products? Like that's, that's the part that was the most confusing to me. I was like, okay, uh, for context, um, all of NVIDIA right now, or NVIDIA right now is a 26 bill or $26 billion revenue run rate business. And, uh, you're gonna be $10 billion. You can be a, like a little bit over, or like over a third of that. Um, and to be fair, they they said the TAM is like a hundred billion, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and 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 across all of the TAM that Nvidia addresses, it's like almost like one hundred and seventy billion. So, you know, to be fair, it's not it's not. Yeah, no, it's not it's not a small TAM, but it definitely is like a very aggressive growth number. Like maybe mm-hmm. that happens, but that is by far the biggest rabbit out of the hat. Like I'm like, where is this coming from? Like I I know where it could come from, but I am like, wow, this feels super optimistic. The most optimistic of I mean, Q4 2021, they shipped zero discrete GPUs, right? So you can consider that revenue as zero, right? I mean, the inner segment, inner company segment royalty is whatever hoopla, right? Like uh, it's, it's really, it's going from zero to 10 billion in five years, um, which is just like, wow. And especially when you consider you're fighting freaking NVIDIA and AMD, right? AMD yeah. doesn't have the software, but their hardware is impeccable. So yeah. they're going to, and they're going to win a lot of HPC and then, yeah. and then, um, you know, and, and, and specialty stuff related to the HPC. And then NVIDIA has just got the software locked down. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not believing the software story that Intel has quite yet on graphics. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it seems like a much more uphill battle than just throwing out a $10 billion revenue opportunity. And it feels like the most, um, the most aggressive of all the revenue estimates. Uh, so I think the next and last segment, which I think we both have some like, you know, moderate thoughts on is IFS, which is Intel Foundry Services. So um, they disclosed what revenue they had, which is pretty small. Uh, I think it's 
$0.9 billion without um, in 2021. And then adding- I mean, to be fair, that's that's, that's higher that's sh- than I was expecting. Oh yeah, me too. Honestly, that that, that is a kind of, that's a real business. Um, and in adding Tower, that would be $1.5 billion uh, is I think- I think tower. tower is 1.5. Yeah. So, so together yeah. it's a much larger business unit. And uh, and this is my favorite graph. It has just like a, a little bit more revenue to potentially a lot bit more, a lot more revenue. Um, I think this is a, a big area of potential opportunity, but it also seems like this will not be ramping in any meaningful way, uh, X tower and Intel into in, in kind of the terminal part of this, like 24, 25 is really when IFS becomes a real thing. Um, and th- this is also on the basis of their their slides that they talked about with, hey, this is when we're going to start buying IFS tools compared to now. And right now, most of the CapEx that they're spending, which is a unbelievable amount, is mostly shells for both IDM and IFS. So, um, But they talked about IFS and why this is such a compelling opportunity for Intel. And, and I kind of believe it, right? Like they talked about how they get to have longer node lives. They don't have to shift the tools. It actually makes both units better. Like, like essentially I made a joke, like buy one fab, get one free, right? Like it's, it is, it is a lot of logical synergies. Imagine if T- TSMC had a really leading edge IDM uh, design, they would be definitely the best IDM in the world. Right. Um, and that, that's what IFS wants to be, but there's a lot of show me there and we are still not quite there yet. Any thoughts on IFS on your end? Yeah. I mean, uh, just taking a step back, right. This is a complete necessity, uh, just with the scaling costs of Moore's law, you know, pushing down further in, uh, scaling. Um, it's, it's, it's a necessity for Intel to grow the business outside of just being an IDM, right. They will eventually fall behind and not be large enough to fund, uh, further process development if they do not succeed in foundry, right? Um, being an IDM will not work forever on leading edge. And so that is the necessity, um, you know, the, the, the capital efficiencies, right, in terms of like building a fab and then not just, you know, shifting everything two, two three, four years later to another process node is huge. Um, you know, the efficiencies of keeping that volume up, consistently buying the newest version of tools instead of buying an old version, because that's what you already have in the fab and you've already designed that for your new process. And so you're going to have to copy it exactly anyways. You know, things like that are huge. Um, the In terms of business size, it's it's quite interesting, right? Like, I mean, like today, I'm just one... I don't, I don't know how to even map out the 800 or $900 million of revenue they have today, right? Like, I penned in Amazon as like maybe a hundred million, and that's optimistic, right? Because it's it's uh, you know advanced advanced packaging, right? Whatever. Okay. Um, Acronix is like two hundred million, um, which is a leading edge FPGA uh, provider um, who also uses uh, Intel uh, twenty two nanometer. In, in, interestingly enough, and then like where is the other five hundred? Right. Both of these are optimistic on on the firms, right? So where's the other five hundred million coming from? I have no clue. Is it like is it like their PSG unit, their product solutions group, uh, group unit, where they put FPGAs and ASICs? Maybe that's where it's, they're getting that revenue from. Or um, so. Well, I'm, and then I'm, the other thing too that makes me ask, like, think is like, dude, if they if they were willing to do to essentially disclose like five hundred million dollars of intercompany revenue, there is a meaningful chance that some of that IFS is is it's somewhere inter in intercompany intersegmented. Interesting. Uh, I mean, if if they did that it, without the asterisks, that'd be freaking wild. It has to be, um, and, and they're going to have to report material. it. They're going to have to report material. Yeah. Yeah. They have to report in the next quarter too, right? Like if these are the reporting segments. So hopefully we'll get a bit more color on, you know, because gap, you cannot do that kind of BS, only non-gap numbers. You can include, you know, intercompany royalties, I think. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see the next quarter, but you know, maybe it's just defense stuff that we just didn't know about. Under, under a certain percentage, it's not material. So we're we're going to see what it will look like. I'm I'm really interested. I want to see the numbers of the segments. Um, and we're going to get that in April. So it'll be really exciting to see that because it's these, I mean, and to be fair, uh, relative to the old segments, I like these segments a lot more, just, just mm-hmm. like it, it actually feels like logical business units, um, versus I remember PSG. I was like, dude, there's a lot of stuff in there. Like there's a lot of stuff in there. I'm really I mean, data honest. center group had literally like the entire kitchen sink, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It had so much stuff in there. And then you're like, where, where do the, where does like FGAs go? So it just doesn't make, it didn't make much sense to me. And now this is a lot more logical and a lot it's more focused clean and, and, and it drives accountability, right? Like Roger Kaduri has a freaking budget. He has freaking targets. And if he doesn't sell, um, he's accountable for that. And everyone in the world knows it, right? Especially himself and, you know, the finance teams and Pat. 
right? And the same applies to Network and Edge, right? When they're crushing it and Nick McCallan is beating the estimates, you know, he's accountable because he has his own budgets and everything, right? Um, so it's 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 definitely a better uh, segmentation. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm curious, uh, you know, the, the the curious thing to me was that they uh, they already want a customer, and it's a big customer, right? It's it's Cisco, uh, Cisco Silicon One, which is fabbed at Samsung currently. You know, they're 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 an IFS customer. They announced it, CEO and board guy. Uh, they 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 said that they're going to use Intel, which is awesome, right? Like, is this is is what is the magnitude of this? But um, is is obviously a question, but like. That's awesome that they're already out competing, you know, at least Samsung, right? Maybe not T- maybe not TSMC, but they're yeah. out competing Samsung on the combination of, you know, cheaper, wa- you know, discounted wafers and uh, maybe a little bit of IP, IP help. And also just like on Tower, I really like Tower. I mean, it's pretty much just like the off-brand global foundries and um, a lot smaller, a little like, you know, not... It's niche, but Global Foundries is obviously probably better at most of the niches Tower is in. However, Tower has the benefit of like Global Foundries execution has been kind of really meh until very recently because lagging lagging edge uh, fabs were terrible. Tower has been a reoccurring real foundry business this entire time. And, um, and they were profitable, right? Whereas Global yeah. Foundries, you know, Mubadala had to spend, you know, 20, what, call it 23 billion almost, right? dollars over the course of a decade on money that global foundries was losing money that they had to put into new fabs and new, new, you know, buying and, you know, paying for things. Um, whereas tower has been sustainable. Real business. Yeah. It's a yeah. real business. It's been a real business. It's like, it's kind of nice. And also you, it's nice to see, um, the talent acquisition there, because if you think about it, like, Hey, one of maybe one of the, the problems with Intel is the hubris of Intel has been like, um, they, they open up the foundry in the past and they're like, okay, you can't use our packaging. You have to use our workflows. You have to like, this could be a really nice leadership change where you have a whole leadership, a whole like culture that is actually customer centric. That's like something that Pat has said m- multiple times that has an actual PDK that people actually use. And it's, it seems like a lot easier, maybe using like the Petri dish thing. It's definitely a lot easier to inoculate and make a real culture from tower as that starting base. And it also fills in a lot of the Intel portfolio that they're missing, which is uh, a lot of the unsexy stuff, but also some very niche uh, applications that I think would be really good to sell to customers, like more full stack, if it makes sense. Like RF is, is really important. It's super hard to do and they can fab it now and they have power. Like that's, that's a lot of like filling in the parts of the portfolio that Intel, frankly, was never strong at anyways, right? Yeah, the the interesting thing, I mean, like the discrete power, um, you know, potential, there's really interesting potential businesses out of tower that could explode, right? Um, if given the attention and investment, which I think, you know, for Intel, it's like, oh, you need a, you need $100 million to buy these tools for this business unit go for it. Right. Like that's, that seems like it could be, you know, almost like a blank check, whereas a hundred billion dollar CapEx was like the entirety of towers CapEx in, in many years. Um, so, um, you know, for example, the power, power business, right. Like you're related to battery management, um, ICs and automotive could be an awesome opportunity. You know, micro led could be an awesome opportunity. Um, there's a lot of niche, like CMOS sensor, x-ray sensor, you know, type of applications, which is just like, it'll just be a steady as she goes business where they have, you know, hooks in to firms. Um, and And there's a lot of customers that tower already has that they have an opportunity to approach. So I think this is pretty great for Intel, pretty happy with it. No problems there. Like global foundries obviously was the one they wanted global foundries pretty badly, but like, you know, maybe the execution of the culture there wasn't the team you want to start to make IFS. Um, so I, I think this is actually a pretty, uh, pretty good one. I, I, I think they would have still preferred to have oh, Google Foundries. Oh, 100%. If dude, they could. Well, they would take more fa- They would take more fabs. They'd take both they if they could. <laughs> yeah, they would take both if they could. That's that's probably true. So um, you want to talk anything else or do you want to move um, on I mean, the, the software story, right? I mean, okay, that was okay. interesting, right? I mean, so they disclosed, I think last year was about $100 million of revenue and they're saying next this year is going to be like $150 million. Like, are you just trying to rebuild VMware, dog? Like, what are you doing at Intel? Um, well, I, my understanding was a lot of this is like, um, you know, very hardware level support for, you know, uh, software packages. Like a lot of the extremely unsexy behind the scenes kind of stuff that is necessary to make this modern world work. Um, software is pretty hard. It'll be <laughs> cool because, you know, Intel ships their own Linux version. Uh, which is optimized for their hardware and they ship their own compiler, which is optimized for their own hardware. Um, 
you know, this could be like a moat that they can create that's similar to what NVIDIA has created, right? You know, like, ha you use our compiler and maybe it's a little harder for you to switch compilers. Ha you're going to use Intel hardware, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe something like that could uh, end up happening, right? And, and it extends far beyond the compiler, right? Um, the network and edge group has done this with like OpenVINO and some of their VRAN, ORAN stuff. Um, mm-hmm. They've got that hook in and it's going to be hard for other companies to leave. And, uh, you know, it'll be cool if they can, uh, you know, cool, quote unquote, right? It'll be interesting if they can, you know, sort of push push this sort of, you know, monopoly level power it through to some other segments. Mm-hmm. And and maybe they can do more of what NVIDIA is, or NVIDIA is very, 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 sorry, I think it's so funny. I, I catch myself all the time. Um, it's really famous for, which is essentially creating a whole uh, software ecosystem for a user and then selling the hardware and they're locked in the hardware forever. Um, that would be very forward looking. That would le- I would love to see out of Intel. And I think it's possible. So um, anything else you want to talk about before I talk about the financials? Because I have some takes. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, talk about the financials. I mean, uh, Mule, I mean, my quick take is, you know, just because because you're uh, you're going to go a little bit deeper on this is, um, you know, 2023, they seem like they might have overguided. Um, in my opinion, it's very possible for them to miss on 2023 numbers. Uh but the rest of the numbers seem fine, except for, you know, the client assumptions and the uh, accelerated computing and graphics assumptions. But let's just call it even, given, you know, how much I love Network and Edge. Um, so so t- tell, you know, Mule, what's, what's, uh, what's going on with the... Uh, the uh... Oh, man, dude. So I think this is a, an expectations problem. Um, so we had this investor day. Most time you have an investor day, you come with like a lot of new information. This is the investor day to put the bottom in for this stock of a huge turnaround of a very storied legacy company that is in some real financial and you know business straits. Uh, the the model they spat back out at us was essentially consensus. So what the market, what the street expected from them, anyways, is what we got. So it's like really, really, really underwhelming because they they said, "Hey, we will grow double digits eventually." And I was like, "Okay, fine. Then we're going to give you mid single digits, maybe accelerating to whatever in in 2026." And then they talked about their gross margins. Like we all know your gross margins can be 51 plus or minus one percent or something um, for the the medium term. And then. Um, and then they're like, okay, free cash flow break uh, negative this year, break even for two years, and then twenty percent in the exit. I'm like, none of this is surprising. Not a single thing that you've given is um, new. And then on top of that, the twenty percent free cash flow is extremely unbelievable. That's something I have the hardest time with because if you look, so they gave the negative one point five billion or negative one to two billion in 2022, and then flat for 2023, 24. Uh, and then 20% for 25 and 26 for free cash flow. Um, so let's say you are 0% free cash flow and uh, margin, and then you're 20% free cash flow margin. And we're going to say 10% of that is from the CapEx intensity moving down from 35% to 25%. So that assumption is a 10% margin increase across the, the board. Um, maybe you get that like 2% at OPEX. So w- what is that really saying? In 2024 to 2025, we expect an 8% um, an 8% increase in, in gross margin, or sorry, 800 bips. So meaning it goes from 53% to say, you know, what is that like 61%. Um, so they have to have a lot of other cost levers. And Brian talked about some of the cost levers and he said, hey, we under, in his opinion, there was underguiding in every aspect. This is really conservative. But if I just take the high end of your model, um, I took the high end, I, I put in, I felt like kind of just assuming on the high end of, of everything. Um, you get set, uh, 350 is their guide for this year, $7.20 is the guide. So that's a rough, that's a little bit over a double. That's what, um, that's what Pat promised. And I'm like, but if you think about it, 2021 was uh, $5.47 of EPS. So it's a 30% EPS increase for five years. That kind of sucks. Like, what what are you staying around for? Like, there's there's not really, like, and and, okay, sure, maybe this is Yeah, but Doug, double the EPS, double the multiple. Okay, double the, okay, also that's cringe as hell. Um, so give some context. Give some so context. double double the EPS from 2022, where a year where they like absolutely murdered um, earnings estimates downward, right? Like earnings was down like almost 40. percent um, But also, so historically, it's pretty it's pretty like faux pas to talk about your multiple as a public company CEO, um, in my opinion, because that's like it's a little bit like pumping your stock. Essentially, it's like we should be valued more because I say so. Um, right. Like, you know, in, in an era of Elon Musk, maybe that's totally fine. 
because uh, Elon doesn't care. But for most public com- like most public company CEOs, like do your job and the market will give you the multiple you deserve. Um, just like do your job, man. Right. The market will figure out what you're worth. Um, and, and frankly, if they do the turnaround, they should have a multiple lift, a double. I don't know. Um, I feel like that's the market and, and people to decide what it's valued, but, but just essentially being like, we're going to forex price from here on a double EPS and a double multiple mm, feels a little bit out of hand. I so, thought that was a little cringe. You know, let me, let me ask in a completely roundabout way, right? Like, okay, let's say you do the mobilized stub, right? Where you make a portion of mobilized public and it's worth 30 billion, 40 billion, 50 billion, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the market decides, right? And then you do an Intel Foundry Services stub where Intel, the parent company pays Intel Foundry, you know, money for every processor that they've had, right? What is that company worth? It's worth at least 100 billion, right? Mm-hmm. The fabs, at well, least. I mean, well, I mean, we gotta see just- what- it's a national interest, right? I don't care what the numbers say. It is national interest. It is a hundred billion dollar. But my question is: there is that the IDM or is that IFS? Because the it's, IDM- it's 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 the IDM paying the foundry as well as the IFS, right? Okay. Combined, right? So so, so, so I would buy that. But but just IFS right now, probably not. But like we're we're gonna yeah. see. I think that that's really possible. Actually, um, I wrote about this in like my pre piece or whatever, uh, talking about Tower. Um, and they talk about tower and IFS is going to be one unit completely separate from everything else. And something I'm a little scared of is Pat uh, worked at EMC, which is a, a Dell company. And Dell has this crazy structure that they've always had. It's very tax efficient. It's actually pretty like, you know, it's pretty tax efficient. It's kind of pretty smart. It's like, but at the same time, it's it's like a, it's a headache. So what it essentially is, is Dell is a holding company for a lot of subsidiaries. And essentially, if this, uh, and then they try to get a, some of the parts valuation. And if the subsidiary ever is like too cheap, they'll roll it back in and they'll spin it back out. Um, and it's just like a, it's a pretty weird financial strategy. It's not like super common. Um, loan was super popular for making tracker, tracker stocks. It is a strategy. Um, I'm not a fan of it because it should just be focus execution, whatever. Um and I just think that would be like a super dismal outcome for Intel. Intel as a holding company for all these stubs. Uh, it, but it, doesn't that drive further, you know, accountability at each company when when Intel Foundry and Intel Fabs have to do earnings on their own? They have to do yeah. all the reporting on their own. They have to answer to Wall Street and you know Intel, the holding company, on their own. Just like just like Mobileye, you know, they 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 get the independence to execute, but then they also have to be, you know, they're, they're also held accountable. And at the yeah. same time, Intel doesn't lose control of the business. So what's the, what's the, what can you tell me the negative? So the negative here is that like, that's really great for, sh- for short termism. Right. But like, if you're actually going to like, so IFS IDM, that will not work. That will not work until 2025. Right. Like it has mm-hmm. to be a business where it's yeah. like, it's, it's launched. Um, and, and if there's any cracks, it can get really, um, and so here's the thing, historically, these, these, these holding company businesses almost always, so they, they try to demand some of the parts valuation because, and, and this usually happens when you have a segment that's extremely undervalued or like a very high, like Mobileye is almost a perfect example of it, where it's high growth automotive pure play stock that is extremely rare in public markets that deserves a high multiple. So yes, if it's spun out, I would say it creates aggregate value, but just doing it over and over and over historically, the, um, the are they, are company. they, are they planning to, I think, I think, I mean, like, I, don't know. I, I only, I, just, I only see like, you know, Mobileye, right. And then, and then maybe, you know, as you said, once the business is going the fabs, right. Yeah. But that's, that's a lot, man. That's a lot of the business. And frankly, like that's, I mean, just, and the fabs are worth, I mean, like what, if they were lot. to be spun out, what are they, what are they worth? Right. Like say they have a few million, a few billion dollars of foundry business, plus the tower business that grows a little bit. Um, plus the intercompany, you know, revenue from Intel itself, right? What is the value of those fabs? I mean, it's it's got to be a, a lot more than what when it is embedded inside of Intel. Yeah, hundred percent. Trailing edge and leading. So TSMC is like twenty times earnings. Most of the trailing edge fabs are even fifteen to twenty times earnings. UMC is a little cheaper than that. Um, I think it is cheaper than Intel's extremely dismal price right now. But the problem is, uh, I got to see it to believe it, and it's going to mm-hmm. be a little bit wild. Like you, you just can't do that in this very moment. I think it's just a very like depressing outcome for Intel. Um, I do like the accountability, but almost every company that does this whole co uh, with like the subsidiary tracking stocks, they all trade at a discount. Like they 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 trade at a discount to what it should be. Like the the parent company will have some kind of embedded conglomerate. Discount. Even even VMware did that. I mean, I don't know yeah. about the I don't know about there there, there was a little like yeah. And whenever the ARB got really bad, people ARBed it. But like it was it never trades 
like it should. It will never trade at a premium to its stubs because it becomes very identifiable. Um, and, and the thing that I'm a little worried about is like Pat is going to do what he knows. And this is like the Dell playbook, dude, he, he definitely knows that. The mobilized spin is very much a page out of the Dell, the Dell subsidiary playbook. So um, yeah. And then the other thing I, it's so nice, try, try to wind this all the way back from corporate structure to financials. The other thing that was really interesting, I think, was the CapEx conversation. Um, the, Caps, the CapEx conversation, they said their guidance is they gave you net and they assume 10% smart capital savings, meaning that they get 10% amplification over what they pay into gross CapEx. So, so at 27 billion, that's like about 30 billion in 2022. But they, uh, Brian was also very adamant that he'd be very surprised if it wasn't 30%. So for context, 27 billion, that grosses up to $35 billion on, on 27 uh, in net CapEx. So just for, just for a little bit more context, right? Intel's planning on spending, you know, 27 billion net, right? So that means yeah. that's how much money is going to leave their pocket. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean across the board, right? Intel gets money from, you know, for example, governments, right? Mm-hmm. They get money from, you know, various interesting financing arrangements that maybe we could talk about in a second or not. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. dude, I think it's the lamest conversation to talk about a fab sale leaseback. Like who cares? It's like the, the savings will be like bips. All right, Neil, I'm sorry, but this is not in my world. So I don't, I don't know. It just seems wild to me. Um, it's just the, a way to, to pay less upfront because mm-hmm. they're paying so much all at the same time. So, so in, for context of what we're talking about is they kept on mentioning a Brookfield uh, partnership. Uh, it would be a first of a kind because I don't think any, any real estate company has ever really wanted to own like a clean room because it is like, it's a weird asset, right? Like the real estate, you know, like to own a clean room means you have to have a fab in it essentially. So who would want to own this from a real estate perspective? But it sounds like Brookfield, which is one of the largest private equity real estate groups in the world, is going to do some kind of like um, sale lease back or some way to make it a little bit less capital intensive up front. So essentially by not paying for the entirety, uh, they, they'll be financing it like everything else. But the, the cost savings difference, because this is real estate we're talking about, it's going to be... Um, a huge absolute sum, but like in percentages will be very small. And, and I would do it. Like if you can, if you tell me that I pay 50 bips, so 0.5% more, but I get, I uh, like on total or something on an interest rate annualized over five years, but I get to do less um, payouts upfront, a hundred percent would do it because why not? Especially in this period of time where you're, you're really trying to pay for tools and you're trying to get um, government incentives. Like, that, that like, you know, the few hundred million dollars or maybe, yeah, a few hundred, maybe a billion, I don't know how much you're going to save is, is pennies in what you're actually pursuing. So. Okay. Um, that, that's interesting. So, so, you know, you know, the, the CFO said, you know, it could be as high as 30% on a, on the, you know, capital, you know, I don't, I don't remember offsets. No, no um, for context, he said, I would be surprised if it wasn't 30%. Interesting. That, so, so is, he is he basically saying he expects yes. subsidies plus this, you know, potential partnership plus 30, you know, customer prepayments for 30%, IFS to 30%. be thirty percent, right? Yes. So, in reality, you know, given given customer prepayments are probably small as as would this, you know, management thing as you just described, uh, Brooks Brookfield asset management thing that you just described. In in reality, are they basically saying you know subsidies? We expect them to be twenty five percent of our spending. I would um, think so. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a fair point. I mean, uh, it's, it's, you know, it, the subsidies have evolved and I'm not, I haven't read the European ones quite yet, but, uh, you know, and they haven't passed of course in the U S or Europe. Yeah. Come uh, on. Grumble, grumble, chip, grumble. Yeah. Pass the chips act. Um, uh, <laughs> but so, so, okay. So, so if, if there's 25%, you know, that's, that's huge because it would, you know, le- start to level the playing field. Um, I still don't think that's leveling the playing field with China, um, given how much their subsidies are, but that would be huge. And that would just be pure juice for capital spending. Is that all just going to go to equipment guys, to people who build out, help build out the equipment re- or the, you know, the, the tool fabs. related to fabs and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So. Is that everything? Is that, okay. I, cool. I think, I think that's really where it's going to go. I really think the, the, the tools are going to get um, a meaningful bump from this there. It, it really is going to move. I mean, like 
it's big dollars that they're spending and getting a 30% amplification on $30 billion. That's a lot of money, right? So, so, so if we, if we say 27, you know, 27 and then 10% this year, because chips act, you know, I, I expect our Western governments to take too freaking long on this. So let's 100%. just call it, let's call it 31 for 2022. What, so what, what do you, what do you think their net capex is in 2023, 2024, 2025? And then with, with, you know, let's throw on that amplification, right. Of 30% so. or 25%. Okay, so I, I I modeled based out of what I, I took from their their guidance, assuming 23, 20. So I'm not going to go through the growth. Uh, the revenue assumption is a big driver, yep. but they, they have three, they, they assume 35% capital intensity. It's 36% this year, 35% in 23, 24. The net numbers that get you is to $27 billion this year, 27.9, so 28 essentially, and mm-hmm. then 30 in 2024. So, okay, interesting. So, so basically, they go thirty-one on a gross basis, right, of capex. Yeah, and then and they go, you know, if you, if you choose something, no, no, no. That so, so, no. so that's thirty billion. So let's, yeah. So on a gross basis, let's assume ten percent uh, amplification. That would be like twenty-nine point seven, thirty point seven, thirty-three. And then if you assume 30 billion or 30%, so it would be something like 35, 36, 39. That's a lot of money. That's a big difference. That 20% is yeah. uh, is so, like uh, on the high end of $10 billion difference in 20, 2024. Yeah, that's, I mean, attend, I mean, that's, if that's the, the, you know, maybe, maybe that's something someone just needs to tell Congress or, you know, tell, tell the European, you know, uh, bureaucrats or whoever makes the laws that I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> tell them, right. Like, you know, that's, that's $10 billion of fab spending in 2024 that you're either giving up or not that could happen in, you know, in Europe. And by the yeah. way, if Europe doesn't pass the chips act, I don't think they even get it until fab. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty so. confident that if they don't pass, you know, some subsidy, I mean, just look at like, even Infineon just announced a fab in Malaysia, <laughs> despite the backdrop of them being a European company I think with I th- most of their manufacturing in Europe. <laughs> I think Europe has no chance of catching up at the leading edge really. Um, that's something, I mean, maybe like, you know, they're the Intel Ireland fab, like there'll be one off, but like the majority of leading Unless edge, they get an Intel mega fab in some, yeah. in, in Germany, which yeah. is, you know, what's, what's but like, it's unlikely. Like most of, if you look at Europe's, uh, uh, like IDM or fab footprint, it's a lot of automotive trailing 28 nanometers, even a lot of 200 millimeter. And then you have Infineon moving to Malaysia anyways, right? Yeah. So, so it's, it's like, it's, it's leaving. <laughs> yeah. Like most of the people that matter aren't even like really investing in a big way. Like they're, they're doing brownfield expansion, but there really isn't these mega fabs that are super leading edge that have these like cutting edge technology. And I don't think it ever will be like, and, and, and TSMC, unless, if they do a fab, it would be a token fab, right? Where yeah. it's a small amount of volume. Like 10K, and it's not a mega fab. So it seems like Europe's only chance for a leading edge fab is truly uh Hey, Intel. Yeah. Here's some money. Yeah. A lot of money. Here's, here's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's like mostly my financial take. So I just wanted to talk about like, I don't know. So it trades cheap on a forward basis, whatever. Let's assume $7.30 of earnings in like 2026. That's six times earnings. But at the same time, it that isn't free cash flow because let's not forget, they're not going to make that kind of cash flow. So that's like actually more like nine times free cash flow. And so you're waiting on this, like this, this, by the way, I don't believe they're 20% free cash flow. If I I can just, if I can just step into that, right. CapEx is higher. OpEx is not going to flatline. It's going to be more expensive to hire people. Um, You know, the hyperscalers are pushing wages up. Um, It's more expensive to do Silicon development and it's more, it's harder to build fabs. I just don't see them being able to hit 20%. the only way that happens is with massive revenue growth so that they can scale over a huge cost base. Mm-hmm. Like that's how it happens. Like I think in order for, in order for you to believe that they have a 20% free cash flow margin in 2026, you have to believe that they're doing something like 15% plus revenue growth in 2026 and that they're, they're not growing. It isn't like a hundred and like, I guess my number is like $107 billion in 2026, but like, no, they're doing like a hundred and, $25 billion. So that is all incremental. And that's really where you drive the financial model. And I just don't, I just don't believe it. Like I, the step up. Okay. So the step up is so intense, essentially from 2023 and 2024, it's like, Oh, everything financials nukes, 0% free cash flow margins. We're growing mid single digits, but then 2025 magically, you know, now we're competitive. Now we're ahead. We're winning so much market share. We're growing 40, you know, we're growing, you know, 12% a year. We're growing 15, 16% a year. I, and so it's such a binary event. Like that's the thing. The guidance is as binary as their roadmap of like, uh, of 2024, we're going to get better. And it's like, it, it, it pretty much doesn't say we're going to get better. We're going to win in 2024. Um, like we, like exiting 2024 
Intel's products better be so much better and to be taking a lot of market share and hyperscalers better be completely asleep. So there's a lot of risk. And that's where I feel like is the most um, underwhelming part. And especially from the financial perspective, this is not like if you told me to model out Intel without an investor day, I would not be this far from here. If that makes sense. Um, it's nice to have the numbers and like have some like this is what their plan is, this is their internals, you know, this they're being disciplined, whatever. But this is not this is nothing crazy, guys. Like this is kind of what we expected. And that's kind of the disappointment because expectations were Intel, this is your investor day. Like this is the time. You've been you got a new CFO, you do like you know, it's been a year, you you've been essentially resetting expectations this entire time. This was time the time to pull some stuff out of the, the hat and on net kind of underwhelmed. That's that's how I feel about the investor day. And I feel like the technical side too, I mean, nothing new was announced. And they don't announce new products on investor days, not surprising, but like nothing surprising. I yeah, mean, I mean, it, I mean a little bit of details on what processes they're using on what products. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally putting a name to some products that have been very well rumored. Um you know, yeah. but for the most part, nothing, nothing crazy on the product side. Uh, just a good, I think it was a decent storytelling on the technical side um, that could get some people bullish, but I think most people will walk away thinking, you know, Intel's maybe not entirely screwed, but it's still not a good stock. Right? Yeah. I, I just, it's just like a lot of waiting. It's a lot of waiting, you know, like it's a lot of waiting for 2024 to come. And then when you get there, like you better hope and pray and believe things turn around because if they do not and they do not grow revenue as fast as they want to. And, you know, the AC, the AXG group is a little aggressive, whatever, whatever revenue miss comes, then all of a sudden you're looking at a company that does not, that spent a ton of money and probably will have to spend more to continue to be competitive and their free cash flow margins are more like, single digits. And then all of a sudden this stock is extremely expensive. It is like 20 times or uh, 20 times free cash flow on 2025 and 2026 numbers. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's, that is quite a bag to hold. Um, and so look, I'm not, I'm not going to be bare. Like I, I do like what Pat's done. I love his energy. I can't get enough of him talking about stuff, but there is a lot. Um, there was an interview about like, I'm sick of like wall street or whatever. Um, not, believing my turnaround. I'm like, cause you have a lot of things you got to do. Like, you know, like it is the technical turnaround is like, I don't think you're as in the rear view mirror for client, as he says, it's, 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 hard. he's got to like, talk his book. He's got to talk. He's, he's got to talk his book, of course. But like, it's hard, man. This is a hard ass turnaround. And like, what are you going to be here for? Like the, the upside is there if it works, but it's not like, it's not like an obvious home run. So I don't know. Um, Anyways, I mean, I obviously, if there's more things that give me confidence, going to be super excited, but I don't know. This just wasn't what I expected, I guess. I expected to be just something that wasn't so bled. So, okay. yeah, that's, awesome. that, yeah. that's I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm with you there on the, uh, on the financials. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm thinking they're a little overzealous on 23, uh, accelerated computing, probably too overzealous client, maybe too overzealous, but I think, I think their foundry business could, could, you know, if they execute well, could grow well above, you know, what they stated. Um, But you know, that's, that's, uh, that's that. And we've, uh, we've we've talked your head off hopefully. And uh, (laughs) you you can find me, I'm Dylan Patel over at semi analysis and yeah, I'm Doug. Uh, I'm Doug O'Loughlin at Fabricated Knowledge. We're going to be doing more podcasts like this, but importantly, we're going to be talking more about Intel semiconductor stuff and having more chip chats in the future. Thanks for thanks for uh, coming along the ride. So take care, guys. Bye. Bye.